Coming up on this episode of Whiskey Wednesday. But that person that now knows that there were techniques and things, he saw somebody else go through the door, right? So he could have gone through the door, right? Like, it's not rocket science, you know? But they live with that kind of guilt, wishing they had, you know, that stuff haunts us. The failures haunt us. The successes don't haunt us, right? The successes are just, they help us keep moving, but the, the really bad calls, the ones that go wrong, where you, and, and some calls go wrong and you do everything right and they still yep. go wrong. But I think about the mental health of those people and that truly affects me. Chuck said he loves this stuff, so. Hopefully he doesn't mind that I'm a little heavy handed. Oh, hey, what's okay. up, Chuck? What's going on? Hey, oh, in here, man. Thank you. Excited to be here, bro. Whiskey Wednesdays. Cheers yep. to you. Cheers. Sweet. Man, I've not had this, and this is good. Yeah. Um, this is a great whiskey. So we got addicted slash oriented to uh, Pendleton 1910 when we were in Oregon. We were at a the Oregon Fire Chiefs Conference, and uh, we had one of the fire chiefs looked at us and said, man, do you got 1910? And we looked at him like, what's 1910? And he like, told us about it. So me and Nick jump in the truck. We rolled out of the local liquor store, grab two bottles of it, come back, and uh, we end up with about eight guys around a table for about six hours uh, just drinking and talking, and fire stuff and forcible entry and all the different pieces of the puzzle. And so, so we ever got, since then. We got one bottle, so what, shooting for three hours? Yeah, that should be right, perfect. We'll get through everything. <laughs> uh, cool. So I know you a little bit from life. I know you're a retired firefighter who decided to take your retirement check and start a company instead of just enjoy life on the beach. So what <laughs> what's up with that? Yeah, I know. So it's a great question. So I actually, uh, the company originated actually in 2008, and then we actually incorporated in 2010. So I was actually still a fire captain at the time. Uh, actually, as a fire engineer at that time, so I got to drive Big Red, but I wasn't uh, actually in charge. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I actually got addicted to this uh, basically when I shifted gears in the fire service from a fire engine to a fire truck. And let me back that whole thing up a little bit. So when you work for the fire department, you either work on an engine or on a truck. And an engine is what is has all the hose, uh, has a couple, you know, three firefighters typically, and their job is to get water on the fire. But uh, after you've been in the fire service for a while, and I'd been in the fire service about nine years, I applied to the truck. And so the truck's a great, it's it's my absolute favorite uh, vehicle in the fire service because the truck is basically a giant toolbox with every tool you could ever imagine uh, and a giant ladder on the back. And you get to go do all the rescues and ventilate uh, any of the homes that are on fire and you get to force entry. And there's just a lot of opportunities if you know how to use tools and like using tools to use those on uh, different events. And so in 2008, I got on the truck. And once I got on the truck, they sent us to truck school. So you go through forcible entry, have a ladder building, search, ventilation. And so we went through all these different Jeez. courses, right? So uh, mm. what happened, and the, the, the real answer in, in some sense of how did this all start, is that I went through all this training and we had ladders we could practice throwing and we had different things we could practice doing to like practice search and practice ventilation and, and those things. We didn't have anything regarding forceful entry to train on. And so after the forceful entry class, I'm like, okay, like I know this right now. And the forceful entry class was even, it was good, 
But like the door was homemade and the guy had took five minutes to reload the door and we got like one rep on it. And at the end of the day, I realized uh, we suck. Yeah. Like we're not that good and we're not going to get better if we don't have something to train on. Right. And so this kind of backs up. I end up asking the guy, can I just copy the door? Just copy just some best basic outline of it. It's made of channel steel. So I'm like, I'm going to make a channel steel frame and I'm going to figure out a door in it and make a hinge and whatever else. Right. And so I go out and I do that, right? So I'm going to back the story up just a minute because like most of the guys in the fire service aren't welders and I had become a welder uh, probably six or seven years before this. Just for fun? Just for fun. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my grandfather, uh, who is one of my heroes, um, went to college and then graduated college and became an officer in the uh, United States Navy. Uh, then worked on a minesweeper during World War II, uh, came back from World War II and opened up an upholstery business. One of my big questions is, why did you open an upholstery business? Yeah. I just don't know. Um, towards the culmination of his career as he was older, he was sending us, uh, we'd gotten information about the things he was doing. He was actually doing the Victoria's Secret buildings. The, 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 have you ever looked, and this is probably back in the 1990s, uh, if you looked up, they had these huge uh, upholstery ceilings, very uh, elaborate. He was doing all that. Wow. Um, and so he had this huge business that he had, he had built right from the ground up. Um, and he was just always an inspiration to me. He was just the nicest, kindest man. He was the, 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 the gentleman, right? Like always a gentleman, just very kind to everybody. Um, and so when he passed away, he left me some money and I bought the welder and a tube bender. And I said, I want to learn how to weld stuff. And honestly, it was just so I could go four wheeling and not have to like <laughs> pay someone else to repair yeah. my truck. Cause that was, cause everything breaks when you're on the mountain. Right. Exactly. So uh, I want to learn how to weld. So we did that. We learned how to weld uh, and we started welding some stuff up for the fire service here and there. And then when this whole thing happened, I'm like, okay, I can weld together the store. And so we, we made our first prototype. We mounted it in our tower. Now our tower is probably one of the smallest towers on the planet uh, uh, at Palo Alto Fire. It's just not a very elaborate tower, but we, we didn't have any doors really that we had to force to get into it. And what was really interesting and what I didn't realize would happen is once we put the door there and we said, hey, you can force the door as you pull hose through. So you can actually do the whole evolution of forcing the door, pulling the hose line in, and then going and putting out the fire. Well, what became evident to me pretty quick was nobody had a system on how to force a door. And so as time goes on, I end up getting hooked up with uh, Firetown training and nobody gets left behind and uh, I've been at fire control and I start training with these guys. I start really learning about how to force a door, how to cut a roll-up door, how to do all these different pieces. And so that ends up leading me to train my department and to start creating some training so they, they have a system on how to force a door. And so as that developed, what ended up happening, with, and the thing that I never expected was there was a cultural shift in our department. Like we went from guys that weren't really sure why, how to use the tools to guys that couldn't wait to go after a door. Yeah. Right. And which was a really neat thing to see because confidence just through the roof. Absolutely. And it was, uh, it, and I, I never saw that as part of it, right? That wasn't the part that I really, I thought, oh, we'll train and we'll be better at the job. We can save people, right? not the cultural shift where people are like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And so that was really cool. So that really helped me to like, then want to like take this whole thing forward. And so that ended up um, leading to the the whole training side that we do now uh, at Force Blunt Tree. But 
backing up again back to 2010. So we did all the, you know, learned how to weld, and now we weld, right? And now so yeah. we build our door. And so how do we go from building a door in my garage out of channel steel with some plates to a manufactured door? And the interesting thing was my brother, who's a real estate agent uh, down Folsom, owns Folsom Lake Realty. He knows this guy named Ryan Wallace. And Ryan Wallace at the time owned Rubicon Express Manufacturing. Okay. Rubicon Express mm -hmm. Manufacturing is uh, manufacturing all those Jeep suspensions. Yeah. So all those guys on the Rubicon, they're all running his suspension system, right? And so Ryan says to me one day, he goes, oh, I can help you uh, CAD this up. And I'm like, okay, what's CAD? <laughs> Like, help me out. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, a so, firefighter, right? right. So, <laughs> fire extinguishers and water. Yeah. Car broken, I get in, right? Yeah. Like, I can break into anything. I can do it. But, like, the actual manufacturing of that whole thing, no idea. And so, he walked me through CAD, and he, we actually, I showed up one night at his house at, like, 8 o'clock at night, and I left at 5 in the morning with CAD drawings. And so, we made our first two doors, which, unfortunately, both died. Quick and painful deaths. So, you know, I'm $10,000 into two doors being manufactured only to find out that the design didn't work and that things were falling apart. Now, if you recall, we started this around 2008. What was going on in 2008? We had the housing market crash. Yeah. Ryan's business was going into a really bad tailspin. And so Ryan looked at me one day and said, hey, listen, if you can't figure out the rest of this, you have no business being in manufacturing. And I was like, okay. And uh, I didn't know where to go. I was truly lost. Like Jeez. I was looking at these doors in my garage. I was living in El Dorado Hills in my three-car garage. And I'm looking at my doors going, what am I going to do? Like, I mean, it's scrap still at this point. And uh, so one, one of my neighbors, a guy named Steve Conover, who always seemed to kind of like walk up and kind of stick his, just kind of watch what I was doing because yeah. I always work on suspensions or bumpers or, you know, with the whole four wheels. Every time you do anything with your garage doors open, somebody's interested. Right. And Steve was this really interesting kind of quirky dude, very quiet. And he had this really cool Beamer, like an older M3 lowered. Like it was just a nice looking ride. And so I really didn't get a vibe on who Steve was. Well, it turns out Steve didn't even figure this out for two years after he'd done work for me, was the chief engineer for Flying Lizard Racing. So if you look up Flying Lizard Racing, it's a Le Mans race team that now races like Audi R8s wow. and McLaren. I mean, he's the guy that calls up the Audi guy and goes, your A-arm is 0.3 degrees off. Like, <laughs> he's that guy. Like, So he one day walks into my garage and he's I'm staring at these doors. He goes, hey, what's going on? And I go, oh, I've got this doors. I designed it, this, that. Yeah, give him the story. He looks at me and goes, oh, I can draw them up. And I can test them. Well, you probably can't afford to, you know, buy steel and test them. You go, no, I'll, I'll test them inside SolidWorks. And I go, how do you test steel inside SolidWorks? He goes, I'm an engineer. I, I know how to do this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, good, because I have no idea. You're what you're exactly who I need. Right. Steve takes what I have, he reevaluates it and goes, oh, this, like, there's bends in it. He goes, those bends are too long. And this is why. So it's explaining all the geometry behind it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So now we start getting it. So we redesign some key parts of the door. And the key parts really that we needed to redesign were the jams. So our jams, unlike any of the other jams, uh, most uh, our jams just flex. The actual metal uh, flexes and then it comes back straight. But without Steve's help, I wouldn't be here. Like, I just don't know how I would have figured this stuff out. Well, that's really cool just <clears throat> hearing how it was people not even involved in 
what you're trying to do, helping you get there. And then a neighbor kind of pokes his head around the corner and time to meet him the most and goes, we got him there. Maybe I can help. And just see that, you know, firefighter engineer sitting here going, I think I can like improve firefighting and, and entry into homes where maybe there's a uh, elderly person down, young person that needs assistance, doors locked or a fire, you got to get in. And your whole goal is to take the training you learn to train your department and then hopefully to train others. And you're like, hey, I got to make this door. And all these people just come to you when you need them, right when you need them to get your product toward us now or where it is right at that moment yeah. in what, 2010, 2012? Yeah, so about 2010 at that point, you know, and, and so that was huge. So Steve comes in, we get a good drawing, and then literally uh, we build doors the same way uh, with that design for probably six years, six, seven years. Okay. And so that was our really, our first uh, really solid uh, door. We called it the Callus. I think it was the version five at the time. I think we're on versions, we call it version seven now. It's, there's probably like in some part systems, there's probably 13 versions we've been through. Wow. So we, we, okay. we continually are trying to reevaluate the door, make it better. Um, and so, um, yeah, we just, we're trying to stay really innovative in that space. So while you're an engineer working in as in the capacity of a firefighter, yeah. you're selling these doors on the side yeah. for training. Yep. So you've kind of sat in an engine, learned that the training's really cool, but it's deficient once you leave for everybody else. So you birth this idea of if I can make the doors in prison, I can at least make my firehouse solid. Right. Which then turns into, hey, I know all these guys and I'm kind of instructing, let me just spread the word. And then at what point did you retire? So 2010, you have your door design. You say it's about six years of the same door. So I built doors at my current uh, shop at my house until about three years ago. Gosh, uh, I'm trying to remember. So just as COVID, COVID, was, like, yeah, yeah, just as COVID was hitting, everything. well, it, it was really weird. So I, let's see, we're in 2012, man, the years go by. So we've been in the shop just over two years. Okay. We were so. there in 21 and 22. We got there at the end of 20. So in October of 20. So that's when I, so this, we're doing this all like me building doors in my days off. And you're just doing doors, right? At this just, point? Well, no, I did a couple other products, but we got them most of it manufactured. So I didn't have as much assembly and welding to do. Okay. But I would still assemble them, weld them. And then uh, if there's welding needed to be done, and then we just ship them off the powder coat, they'd, and then we put them back together and ship them. And were you by yourself? Yeah, yeah. So, solo man doing all this. Solo man just trying to figure this out, trying to support uh, different conferences. Just, what, what was, before we go like farther, what yeah. was the purpose like what kept you going? I mean, you're you're already working super busy schedule as a firefighter. Yeah, you have some days off, but that's kind of most of those for me working in law enforcement are recovery days right. to prepare for the next shift of what I'm gonna what I'm gonna see. What kept you like giving up those recovery days to keep making these doors? I think, you know, in the fire service, probably like law enforcement, there's uh, a certain amount of overtime that's always available, right? And uh Right or wrong, guys like to work overtime. I just felt like if I could make my overtime going home where I'd be around my family, even if I'm in my shop for a while welding or putting things together, it would bring me home more often. Okay. And that was kind of one of the goals was not to be gone so far. So I, I lived in Eldorado Hills at the time or, or eventually Shingle Springs, and I commuted to Palo Alto. So it's, a, so it's, not, like the, it's not like your family comes over uh, during the week and visits you. Yeah. Like, right, there's just, nobody's going to see you. So 
to me, it was like, let's try and figure out a way to be home more. We homeschooled our kids. So one of the things I wanted to be is home doing some of the instruction and stuff. I wanted my kids to all learn how to use tools. I always thought learning how to use drills and saws and learn how to weld or grind something like I just felt that that was really important for kids because I felt like with all the the influence of the computers, the phones, that it was so easy for kids to really get lost in that whole virtual world. And I just wanted to kind of try and help ground my kids in some things that were practical that they could use across their lives. Okay. So that was really the, that and the fact that I just, honestly, I knew that, I knew that if we did this right, we'd be saving lives down the road. Oh, Like somebody else was really going to cool. be benefited, right? Yeah. Outside of just me. We're making a significant effort. And I didn't realize, like, you do this and you wonder if you're making a dent. Right. And then we put out some videos onto um, Instagram, I think it was. And we had, like, 12,000 views. And I had no idea. And one of my friends one day asked me, he goes, how many people do you think you've affected? And I go, I have no idea. He goes, have you looked at how many views you have on different, you know, so we started adding stuff up. and It was over 100,000 people. Wow. And so... If we're affecting 100,000 people and they're affecting 100,000 residents, citizens, then if my mission were to help people, right, and that's the call, right, in the whole uh, paramedic, fire service, all law enforcement, all of the, at the end of the day, we're there to help people, then I'm actually able now to help more people than I've ever been able to by being able to provide these products. Yeah, and I think law enforcement, nurses, firefighters, all these guys and gals are, have this like passion of, you know, selflessness. Like I want to, I want to serve others first. I want to make sure everybody else is safe. So they kind of take a lot of what they learn. I know for me, I, I learned a lot. And I want to, I want to teach it not just to myself and to my partners and to maybe the, the guys I work with, but I also want to teach it to maybe my wife or my kids and, and <clears throat> something as simple as, you know, our medical stuff is tourniquet training. Hey, I think it'd be good for my kids to even know how to put it on. Cause what if they're out in the park and something happens to my wife? Be smarter for my kid knows how to. So I want to share all my knowledge. And it kind of sounds like you have this really selfless act of, hey, there's this training that was really good. Now I want to take it to my guys. Well, this would benefit more than just my guys. It'll benefit my city. Okay, now it's going to benefit more than just my city. It's going to benefit maybe my state. And I think we're almost to the point in your story where it's going to benefit more than just firefighters. It's like this whole like, uh aha, this goes to multiple levels that maybe you never thought about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely In the beginning. Right. No, in the beginning, you're like, uh, I remember when we first started off, my wife's looking at me going, you're, you know, the wife is like, she's supportive, but like, are we going to make any money doing this at all? Yeah. Are you just going to lose money, right? Like, because that's a real deal. And I remember telling her, if I can just sell one door a month, yeah. <laughs> a month, we'll break even. We'll be good. They'll pay for the tools and my time and whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and now it's, uh, I can't even wrap my head around like just watching doors go out the like we ship two doors today like Jeez. how many doors go out every day um and then products being designed and built um it's really cool it's so what year did you retire from firefighter i retired so uh technically the end of 2021 so okay. december of 2021 so 2010 for six years you're you're working out of your garage building these doors. Yep. You're making improvements on the doors. And then you said it's right around when COVID hit 2020. Yeah. 2020 beginning 2020, you get the shop. So you've promoted to from engineer to captain at that time, still pushing the doors, still helping everybody train. Now you're in a shop. You've taken your retirement as re- 
retired firefighter Chuck to just go, I'm going to continue working full time in what is now forcible entry. Right. So what's what's still the drive? What's keeping you going down that road? And, and what have you learned and what are you producing now? Great question. Um, Sorry, I just no, like, no, no, no. like it, seven it, questions. No, so I'll get pretty. Um, I struggled at the end of my career um, with some of the things I'd seen across 30 years as a paramedic. Um, and in a lot of time of reflection, I came to the conclusion I was no longer, uh, I didn't desire to necessarily serve the citizens. I desired to serve my brothers and sisters who are first responders. Okay. And that really drives me right now. Like I realize, I realize that if they don't know how to do their job well, that, and, and this, there's an actual story that parallels this where people I know got to a door and couldn't get through the door. And it turns out there was a mom and two kids behind that door and they died in a fire. And the guys that came behind them were able to get through the door. And I think about if I had just had a chance to affect them or if I had just had a chance to affect their fire department more, where I could have gotten more doors so they had more training not only would they have been able to save those two, those three people who it's highly valuable, but that person that now knows that there were techniques and things, he saw somebody else go through the door, right? So he could have gone through the door, right? Like it's not rocket science. Yeah. But they live with that kind of guilt, wishing they had, you know, that stuff haunts us. The failures haunt us. The successes yeah. don't haunt us, right? The successes are just, they help us keep moving, but the, the really bad calls, the ones that go wrong, where you, and, and some calls go wrong and you do everything right and they still yep. go wrong. But I think about the mental health of those people and that truly affects me. Like, I don't want them carrying that. They shouldn't have to. And that's one reason I think, like there's agencies, like I love uh, Contra Costa County Fire. They are one of my favorite departments, bar none. Those guys have bought more stuff than they should have ever bought through me, right? Yeah. But those guys crush forcible entry. Like, there's nobody on the other side of a door. Like, based on what I've seen in their training, that that county is solid. They're safe. Yeah. Like, the, those guys aren't going to wonder if they can get through a door because they have invested in their infrastructure in a way that says, no, we, we know that this is important. We want our people to be trained right. That's that's great to hear. Right. That agencies are, are pushing that. Yeah. Because it's like we serve the communities we work for. It's not the other way around. We're not on a pedestal. We never look like or feel like we're on a pedestal. That's coming from law enforcement. And I know working with firefighters are the same way. Like they took the job to serve at home instead of right. maybe enlisting in the military and serving overseas where a lot of them already did. Yeah. And they came back and decided, okay, I did. I felt like I did everything for my nation. Now I really want to do my neighbor. I want to. I want to invest in protecting my neighbor, my parents, my family, whoever's here. So that's awesome that even their county's still. Hey, let's these guys invested their time and test invest in the community. Let's make sure they have all the tools they need to really protect the community. Yeah, it's it's a really neat thing to see because you get invited to go out to their training and you watch them train, and you're just you just know that you yourself could not do what they're doing, but you get to be a piece of that puzzle. You get to fill in those gaps. So they can then facilitate all these people hitting the ground and just going to work. Yeah. And it's just really a cool feeling. And so like, uh, 
and it's one of the things that like probably seeing guys training, seeing guys getting better. That's just, it just drives you all the time to want to be better yourself. And I think all of this, like we all want to do really well at our job. I don't think anybody goes out there going, I want to suck. Right. Most of us go out there and we're like, Hey, I want to be good at what I'm doing. Right. And so all we're doing is helping fulfill that call to do well in your space. Right. Regardless, like, and you've already kind of, uh, forecast it, whether it be fire, whether it be law, whether it be military, we want you to be excellent in that space. And we're going to help you in the infrastructure of breaching or forceful entry. And that's really what our goal is now. Yeah. And you've, I mean, I've, I, with my agency, <clears throat> I've been through your training and you clearly create an environment to make you comfortable, confident, and pretty much ready to a- attack any obstacle in your way when it comes to a door. I mean, and Funny thing is, is I never thought of all the different types of doors you may face in, in your career. Um, you clearly have. You've had to go through more doors than, than I have. But, you know, coming from law enforcement, I'm used to, you know, pick up big hammer, smash door, door's going to open it after a little while. And you quickly prove that that's not the case. Um, or maybe the door doesn't swing inward. Maybe it's a school. And maybe you have a steel door that swings outward every time. How are you going to get through that door? Or maybe it's a... Uh, uh, the way the locking mechanisms are, where it's the t- locking at the top of the frame and the bottom of the frame and the center. How are you going to get through that door? How are you going to get through a rolled door if you have to go into like a grocery store or something? Because in fire and law enforcement, we're seeing this transition of kind of what I would call threats, whether it be a person or a natural disaster, like a fire, something happening, and we have to get through the door. I haven't faced those doors till I went to your training. I was like, oh man, you can't just grab hammer and smash door because door may not open the way that I have to hit it. I have to then come at it differently. And you opened my eyes to that. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, the breaching and barbecue piece that we got to do with your agency and we've gotten to do with uh, now probably 20 plus agencies has really proven to us that um, we have something valuable to share, which is, I, yeah. I think it just being real, it's like, you're always a little afraid. Like, do I really have some that people don't already know? Um, but sometimes it's just, it's the little things, right? Like guys know where to put their hands on the halogen, but maybe they don't know to handshake the halogen, right? Yeah. The, the fork, right? Like to maximize your leverage out of the tool, to um, to evaluate the building construction before you go after the door, right? To think about those things as you're moving towards them. And all those things play a piece. And I think when we get to an opportunity to train and share ideas and thoughts is we all get to learn. And that's how I always look at Breaching and Barbecue is I'm always excited about having somebody challenge our thoughts or our positions and then hear their ideas. Because I've seen some amazing ideas come from our law enforcement and our fire folks. Um, Yeah, we look at things a little differently. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys, it's a fatal funnel, right? Like I really have started to appreciate our law enforcement people because- a firefighter gets in front of a door, they're not worried if the door's going to shoot them. Yes. Right? It's a totally different deal for you guys. You guys spend too much time in front of that door. You just announce exactly where you are, mm-hmm. right? And so that's helped me to really start to really, uh, not that I didn't respect uh, law enforcement, but I really respect now how quickly they need to breach that door or be able to peel off and go to a different location, right? Like that's, yeah. that's really what needs to happen. And, and part of the training that we try and create is the, or I should say the nice thing about the door is that you can set up in such a way that you can't breach it, right? And then that teaches people to peel off. Yeah. Which I think is important too, because 
you guys do have a point where it's like, hey, this is not a breach point anymore. Yeah, and we got to go to option two. Right. And hopefully we've already assessed, assessed option two. I mean, we usually, maybe like fire me, we have, if we're getting sent out on something like that, we're already assessing, okay, here's going to be the main breach, but we have to have a secondary just in case one doesn't work out. And for whatever reason, that, that can show up and we have to quickly maneuver to the next one. Right. And we have to have all the intel on the second one as well as the first. Yeah. I really think that law enforcement works more autonomously. You guys, uh, when you're in a stack, you work a little bit more like a fire department because everybody's kind of got their mission or their job. In the fire service, we kind of surround a building, like everybody's taking the door versus you guys are like, it's much more like, you guys move more autonomously uh, in my eyes than, than we do in the fire service. We're all given an assignment. We handle the assignment. You guys are kind of moving to wherever the threat is. Yeah. Uh, which I think uh, takes a lot of thoughtfulness. It makes it made me very uh, respectful uh, of our law enforcement folks. Well, it's nice to hear that we're challenging your conception of what forcible entry is in a different way yeah. to make it beneficial for fire, law enforcement, and potentially military. Yeah. Um, so to kind of get steer the train a little back on track. So you're now 2021 inside the building that you're purchase or renting and now you're operating out of it. Are you just at doors or, or what's forcible entry grown to in that 10, 11 years? So let me just back up just a little bit. So, uh, and hopefully that's okay. That's fine. (laughs) So about a year and a half before we go into this building, I hire my son, Josh, to help me weld. He knows how to weld, he's been a welder school. So I just get him welding because I've I've got enough things going on as a, a truck captain and as a training captain, I just can't manage it all, right? So I get Josh to start welding for me. And about six months later, I'm sitting in a coffee shop uh, with my wife and I see a guy across the room, he's got an Apple computer somewhere in mind and I know that he's got some stickers on there and I'm like just kind of a curious guy because I'm, I'm always looking for other business leaders, right? Yeah. That's like Google like this, this Sticker I'm seeing, and I, I find that guy, and I look it up, and I'm like, yeah, but that kind of looks like that guy. So I walked <laughs> out to Nick, uh, well, Hosky, and I go, is this you? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, hey, my name's Chuck, and I introduce myself and tell him kind of what I'm doing. Well, you don't seem like a guy who shies away from introductions <laughs> and just intruding into somebody's no, coffee. He was alone. He was by himself. I'm like, oh, perfect. Oh, well, speaking of that, I'm doing one, right? Like, I'm just, you can just tell me to get the brick out. I'm okay yeah. with that. I just, I, uh, and honestly, for me, it was just, I wanted to connect with other business leaders. And so uh, I meet Nick and we start chatting a little bit, but I'm with my wife. And so I, you know, eventually I have to leave. But I sit down with Nick uh, a different time because we kind of connected really well. And, and he gives me a sentence I still cannot, I don't know what the words are that he exactly used, but he basically, used ascendance along the lines of, I know how to market, scale, and build business. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what I need. Yeah, that's what I need to hear right now. I, I know how to make a door and, <laughs> and a comp prop and a hinge prop and all these other props, but I don't have any idea. And so we started sitting down and talking, and uh, I think probably it was a couple of weeks later, I'm like, can I hire you part-time? Like, I really need this help. And so, you know, six months before that, I had Josh, and now I've got Nick, and then uh, basically a year later, and and then Nick and me, we re, we start going back and forth, and Nick and me uh, align really well, nice. and we just banter back and forth, and so we're like, so our old website was Forcible Entry Equipment, 
And the minute you added equipment, like it dropped to like page 50 on the Google list, right? Like it wasn't even on there, right? And so I'm like, we should probably just try and get forceful entry. But the last time I'd done that was like a $10,000 website. And I was yeah. like, I don't have $10,000, right? Like remember <laughs> 12 doors a year, like yeah. that was my goal, right? So, so we're in a little different space. And so Nick does some research and he finds it goes, it's 2,500 bucks, dude. I'm like, let's buy it. Okay, let's, and then Nick was already working with another friend of his and, and they were working on building us a whole new website. And now we had the new web name, forcefulentry.com. And we launched that website and we went from 137 quotes the year that my website, mine, the one I designed, yeah. up to, geez, it was like 357. It was, it was Whoa. crazy, right? And then last year was like in the 600s and this year was in the seven, or 22 was in like the 700s. I mean, it has gone just for doors, ballistic. So this is so we have a few other products, but it has gone ballistic. And so 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 Nick's involvement has been pivotal, right? So I got Josh, I got Nick, and then a I'm sticker guy Nick. Just <laughs> no, he's not sticker. <laughs> he's uh, so so. Then what happens is, uh, and we're still building these doors out of my shop, out of my property at okay. this point in okay. two thousand and. 20. Yeah, 2020. We are. And then in October, I walk into my favorite uh, oil supply place, an AMS oil place called Tigar Motorsports. And I see this flyer and it says, shop for sale, take over lease. And I'm looking at it. I ask my friend Dave about it. And Dave goes, oh yeah, it's my buddy, you know, and he's selling a shop. And so I'm like, is it close? He goes, yeah, it's right down here on Malgum. So I'm like, I drive down, meet the guy, shows me all the stuff. I'm like, oh, this is, this is really good. Yeah. I should really, right. I should really do this. And then, then the other, the other voice in your head is like, you better have a bunch of people tell you you shouldn't do this, so you don't do this, right? Because there's some real money that's got to be thrown out to buy the shop and everything in it. And so I call Nick and I call Josh. I'm like, you guys got to come see this, like immediately. <laughs> like I'm, I'm losing my mind. And so they come down and I'm like, tell me why I shouldn't do this. And they're both like, they're both trying to figure this out. And so it's 3,500 square feet. Uh, and we're going to, and there's a guy that's subleasing. So he has half the space. So we basically have 1750 each. Okay. Right. Uh, and so we decide to do this and it is, you know, we're terrified. You know, we, we don't know how this is going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. So we take over, we take over the shop. The guy that's in there with us, his name's Greg. He's building four wheel drives, which I love four wheel drives. So it's like, I love that you build four wheel drives yeah. in my shop. I'm like, I'm Perfect. just going to watch you and watch what you do. Um, but literally Four months, five months later, I looked at Greg. I'm like, hey, um, you have to leave. <laughs> we need all the space, yeah. right? So we got there in uh, October of 20. We kicked Greg out by May of 21. Oh. We took over another shop four or five months ago. So we're in like over 5,000 square feet of space now. Wow. Because it's just progressively continued to grow. And so now we have, so we do everything from doors. We do windows or break and rake windows or, or forcible windows uh, with uh, pryable or cuttable burglar bars. We do a hinge prop. We do a commercial cutting door. We do uh, a roll-up door prop. Um, we do a fully assembled Conex box, which we call our Conex box training center, which is a huge product that's got all of our products inside of it, including you can add breachable walls inside. We can add smoke holes. We can put electrical systems in them. I mean, they become miniature training centers for these guys. So yeah. they're just phenomenal. And that product, um, 
me and Nick, we launched that thing like 18 months ago. And we thought last year in 22, we thought, okay, here's the bet, right? I think we'll sell four of them. And Nick's all, I'll take five, right? Like he always takes one of them above me, which is cool. We sold nine. Wow. We had no idea it would go that well. And so that has been a big deal for us to see that kind of uh, hit. And uh, we already have more boxes uh, coming. We're, we're, we're talking to vendors. We're meet, I'm actually meeting with McCullough Me Fire tomorrow because they want a box. And and I can cheat because I know you, yeah. you're not just selling them to fire guys and, and yeah. firehouse. You're selling them to law enforcement agencies. And from talking with you, I know that they're not just asking for like the basic box. They're challenging you on, hey, we need a box that can do, you, you have one that does A and B, but we need C and D added. Can you do that? And you, with your, right, you and Nick sit down and you're like, is this logistically possible? Can we add this? Can we take this away from a Connex box to be able to do this for this agency? And pretty much you figure out a way to do it. And then your answer is usually on the phone is yes. And then you figure out how to do it later. And then you've sent them a product and now you've added something new to your list of products you can produce for people. You nailed it. Um, so uh, that is, explains exactly Vacaville Police Department. So we were building these standardized boxes that we'd come up with with doors and windows and stuff. And Vacaville comes to me and goes, we have an explosive breaching program. We want to blow up both the walls around the door. And I'm like, I Sounds love awesome. you. I love this idea. So, so talk, talk to me. He goes, we want regular walls, 16 inch on center studs, you know, plywood that goes over the face of it. And we want a, your window on a second floor height so our grenadier can shoot the grenades through it. Uh, so they have something to aim at that's higher than, you know, a standard first yeah. floor. Uh, and I'm like, okay, we can do this. I know we can do this. I just got to figure it out. And so literally that was the whole conversation. Like, yes, we'll do it. We drew up some we drew up some stuff in SketchUp to give them a, a rough drawing of what it would look like. Uh, they basically pulled a purchase order and said, "Go to work," and uh, we created that box in about two months. Um, they've got it up there, and we are super excited to get up there with them and do some training and watch them blow stuff up. So, pretty much, if an agency, fire or law enforcement, or potentially even military, yeah. comes to you and says. This is what we're facing and what we're seeing that's new or that we come up with that's challenging. Can you build us a box for this? Your answer is just yes. Yes. Give me X amount of days to figure it out. And you go to the drawing board and figure out how to do it and then produce a, a CAD drawing maybe. Yeah. To show them and then, hey, this, this is what it would look like cost-wise to do, but we can make it work. And then, and then it sounds like I know talking to... Nick and Justin, that in the future, not only is it going to come with the box and everything you can do, but you're going to lay out training videos for for everybody on, on how to like reinstall everything, how right. to use it effectively. So they don't always have to call you and say, hey, Chuck, how do I do this again? It's like, hey, you buy the box, it comes with right. full full manual, not just words on paper, but video. Yeah. So that was a, that's a really great point. We've so we sat down with our budget because we finally have one, right? You start selling enough <laughs> yeah. stuff, you buy have a budget, right? So we have a budget. So we looked at what our budget was for conferences last year and we said, okay, what do we think is one of the biggest missing pieces? And Nick's fantastic with the marketing piece. He always has got, like, there's always something he'll pull out of his, like, his computer that I don't even know about. He goes, here's what all the marketing stuff should look like. And it's got a list and it's all laid out. And I'm like, okay, we need to do this, right? Like, he's right. Like, so... uh so we basically uh, said, okay, let's put, let's take, you know, somewhere near half of our conference budget. Let's not go to the conferences this year. 
because we're really not sure how they pay off anyways. Yeah. Right. The big ones, you get a lot of people, but some of the small ones, I'm not really sure they're paying off for us. And so I, we just made the command decision that we're going to invest that money into video because we have video, which is basically grab your phone. Okay, Chuck, go. And that's yeah. videotaping me doing something in front of the box, which isn't, it's good training, right? But it's not professional level video, right? And it's not giving them all the detail they need. Yeah. And so we want to make that investment this year into our customers um, where they can really have the end-to-end training on every single product, um, as well as how to set that product up, how to maintenance that product, um, all the bells and whistles. So like, and it's very well laid out. It'll probably all be in our Google Drive, okay. which they'll simply get a link to it. And once they get the link, they'll be able to open up the entire video library and access all the videos, which I think is a great ad for most of these agencies because some of the agencies I can't get to and train. Yeah, I mean, if they're coming from SoCal and we're in Northern California, right? they maybe get like 15 guys up here and then those 15 guys have to remember everything when they go down if they purchase something. Right. And then what if those guys get cycled out of wherever they were in or something happens now, it's like, what did they teach again? Was this the right way? It's like telephone, right? Right. As it gets passed down, things get lost in translation or forgotten about. And that's super important, actually. If if guys do something the wrong way and they succeed, then they think they did it the right way and that's how they succeed. Yes. Which is the worst case scenario, right? What we want is people getting the right information in the right way so that they can execute it the right way. Um, because if they don't, especially if they build bad habits thinking that they're doing it right and they're not, that's what leads to ultimate failures and failures that lead to, you know, real consequences, which we don't want for any of them. So one of the, that, that is one of the big driving forces is to get that information very clearly out. We're going to do an entire fire side, but we're also doing a full law enforcement side. Okay. Um, because we want, because we recognize that law enforcement has different tools and different techniques that they're going to need to use. Uh, and some of it, has to be very clearly defined for them because again, if they're in front of a door for too long, they become a target, right? So yeah. discussions about those things. Um, I'm not a tactics expert, I'm not a SWAT guy, uh, but I'm trying to get as much information that we can put something forth that's actually valuable to use uh, at every level. And especially uh, for us is to create patrol officer level training um, yeah. at the door, right? Especially just a simple inward opening door or a security screen door, uh, an outward opening commercial door. All those in the and let's just say this, in a simple form, in something that's not uh, got a drop bar or a specifically uh, like a secure tech hardware on it, like these really elaborate systems, I respect when they can't get through those things. Mm-hmm. Like those are very difficult doors for anybody and they're not gonna, and they're gonna be time consuming. But there are doors out there that we should be able to slip through and sometimes slip through with a knife, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. we demonstrate that and on the train, right? So, Having them have that knowledge and seeing the techniques, that's what we really want to do. And then we want to be able to supply them with the proper tools so, so they can do it. So yeah. that's that's another driving force uh, that we've got going on right well, now. Well, I, I think it's cool the fact that you make these connect boxes that places can buy. And I mean, I'm not sitting on who writes the budget and where it gets, it gets spent for any agency or for any county or city, but I would think that if you are a city or a county with a school inside of it and kids being, you know, easy victims of people we should be really caring for, any officer should know how to get through that locked door if they have to for 
you know, any active shooter situation. Absolutely. So when you send these Connex boxes off and they're able to put that style door inside to match and you can teach it to any patrol level because when those things pop off, you're not going to wait for a SWAT team or no. the EOD team to come in and breach. You're relying on the guy who may be right out of the academy, right off of field training or even still on it to know like, hey, we have to go get to the threat and get through this door. Hopefully when they went through their agencies like initiation thing, they went through a training with your Connex box with that door on it to know, hey, I can get through this door. Right. And then their agency provide them tools. Yeah. So they can actually do the job when they get to there, right? And yeah. they're and yeah. So they're you're absolutely right. We're actually uh even pushing we're trying to figure out how to push to get um, breaching training or forcible entry training into all law enforcement academies. Um, so is that like the next step in forcible entry? I was going to ask you, where, yeah, what's so the big picture now? The big picture now is trying to affect um, change at a national or at least at a state level. Um, if you look at what's happened in Texas since Uvalde, they've actually really pushed across Texas a need like there's a, almost a mandate, it may even be a mandate, can't remember off the top of my head, but where they have to address this breaching issue, right? Um, and so, you know, it's just not that hard. Like, you can take two days in an academy, that sounds like a long time, but it's basically 16 hours, and you can take guys from very little knowledge of how to go through a door to very, I mean, substantial knowledge and substantial ability, and if you give them a chance to practice, you know, and we have this conversation uh, about like, how often do you qualify with your weapon, right? Yeah. Every three or six months, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in the fire service, we breach doors like we have them at our training tower, so we can breach them every week if we want to, right? And we tell the guys, as often as you can, just go force a door or two just to get your muscle memory back. It's yeah. it's just like weapons training, right? It's it's you gotta know how that tool works. You gotta remember it, you gotta go through the practice uh, or the um go through all the techniques. So you're proficient, right? So what would what would it look like if the police force, excuse me, had some basic breach training, had the tools, and then had a every six months expectation for you to breach the door? Because you came to my class, right? Yeah. It was how long? I want to say we, maybe about four hours. Four or five hours, And we right? started about like eight in the morning and we went to lunchtime. Yeah. And then we had... Really good barbecue, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so free question, barbecue. Free, best kind of barbecue. <laughs> barbecue. Yeah. Somebody else cooked that barbecue, yeah. right? That's the best deal, right? It just showed up. It was great. <laughs> so, I mean, think about it. In four hours, we took you guys from a... You guys are already operators, so you guys have a really decent idea. And SWAT teams typically end up getting most of the breach training. But a lot of times, it's just like two, two, two of the guys, yeah. right? Maybe three guys. We can take everybody on a SWAT team in four hours to be competent at a door, right? In four oh, yeah. hours. Easy. So if I gave you 16 hours, I would easily have the time to do some classroom work for four hours, some initial door work, and then some advanced door work, and then some cutting work. Because eventually you want to get the guys onto saws and stuff just so they get the hand on. Because unlike... Um, I'm older than some, right? Like, so when I, little. when I grew up, we made forts and we shot each other with BB guns, right? Yeah. That was our gig. Some of these kids have never held a saw, right? They never actually cut anything with a chainsaw, a cirque saw. They don't even know what they do, right? And it's not, I don't, there's no fault of theirs, right? 
Uh, they didn't grow up with that. Their parents didn't hand them those, those tools, right? That, that's, I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but because God knows they know how to use Excel spreadsheet way better than yeah. I do. <laughs> so I have my own issues. Um, but I want to get their hands on tools so they can see how a tool reacts in their hands, right? How when something's spinning, it causes it to pull, right? You get that rotational yeah. pull. I want them to experience all that. And then we give them exposure to like both battery tools, gas tools, right? So they get to see all the different steps out there. So in 16 hours, you can have somebody go from a very low confidence level in getting into a building to an ex- to a very high confidence level. Yeah. And confidence is such a big deal. Like if you don't believe you can do it, you'll never go on and do it, right? Yeah. And I, I remember coming on and looking at uh, the Rams that we have, and they're not assigned to every vehicle, but just the ones we have that we would station in a central location. And some guys had them in a, in a car or, or the SWAT team had. And just thinking, oh, that's like the key to the city. That's going to get me through every door. And then you throw, after you, you ran us through a bunch of training on how to do it effectively with a hooligan, which I'm, I'm Halligan, hooligan, whatever it is. Halligan. I, Halligan, I've yep. never used one before. I've had no idea what it was till I held it. I just figured it was a firefighter tool. Um, just like, they just bring it to whatever. That's not going to put on a fire. I don't know why they have it. Um, when you showed us how to use it uh, effectively and shows how to get through a door, and then you set up a really challenging door, and you had two doors on this Connex box, and we had a ram for one guy and another guy doing it by himself to get through a door. The ram hit 15 times, and we had the biggest guy out there get exhausted. And before he was done hitting, the other guy was already through the door. And even though it took a little bit longer, it's like if we're going to sit on a door and hit it for that many times, they're already going to know we're there after the first hit. And if we're not through the first hit, we're just hitting, banging and banging, rotating guys out. We have one guy who went through a door faster and could do it by himself. And he went through first with enough energy to effectively make, take a shot on target if he had to. Right. That was, that was like eye opening. It's not like the way, but it's a way to still get through a door that we should look at. Yeah. So it, so for the law enforcement guys, because they are so used to ramps, and and let's say this, rams work a lot. Yes. They work so many times. They're a great tool. I have no issues with rams. Uh, the fire department absolutely will not go the rams. I think they're afraid that they look like cops and they don't want to look like look like cops. But the rams work on inward opening doors. Of a multitude of times they work. Right. Uh, the question we always pose is what happens when it doesn't work. And when I had a chance to work with one of the officers from uh, El Dorado County, and he showed me some stuff that they had, had to get through and had to really tear through it because this inward opening door was well supported. Like it was not your typical inward opening door. And that's really what we asked the question to the officers is, okay, when the RAM works 90% of the time, good. In the 10% it doesn't, what's your next go-to? Because if, it, if it's a blank stare at me, then we have a problem, Which right? Is probably what you get. Right. Well, sometimes, don't get me wrong. Some guys show up with halligans, right? And then we show them how a halligan should be built and how their halligan is built. We've actually retuned several halligans. I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, because, because unfortunately, like, halligans get built a certain way because people have certain beliefs and they're not willing to change their beliefs, which eh, I'm okay with that to an extent. But I, I just, we have a rule in our, in, in our company. Best idea wins. I don't care who it comes from. Yeah. So That's best idea, idea wins. So, um, well, I mean, military, innovate or die, right? Yeah. And the fire service is 50 years of tr- tradition unimpeded by progress. 
right? Like, yeah, we, you're not advancing your we, training program, that, you're right? Die. Yeah, exactly. So you got to keep pushing people out of their comfort zone and saying, "What it, does this work? Is this you know?" And so we make changes. We show guys why their tool doesn't work, why it, why the cut has to be a certain way in a tool. And it's interesting because it's little detail stuff that, like, if you're not staring at this stuff for like probably five years, because that's probably how long it took me to figure this out. Yeah, you just don't think about it. And if you're not in that space and it's not like one of your biggest focuses, you just don't think about it. And, well, and uh, I would have thought about it. I mean, the cut on the duckbill of the Halligan yeah. has to be one way because if it's the other way, it doesn't work. And I remember sitting there going with another guy going, which way did he say? Which way was, right. was it supposed to be cut? Because we were looking at buying stuff and we were like, is that one cut the right way? Right. Let's just email him. Let's just Correct. call. Let's just call back down to Forsman Street and make sure. <laughs> we'll text you some pictures. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. It's... It, it's an interesting thing to see how a small, have a small issue. And that small issue actually got identified because a firefighter came to me from San Jose Fire and said, hey, I was at a school fire and I'm driving my, my ads into an outward opening door and it keeps popping out and I can't figure out why. And we literally spent like two hours on a door trying to replicate it. And we finally figured it out. We figured out the cut in the tie, the cut on what's called the ads into the tool was the wrong direction. Mm. It was what I call bottom up versus top down, which doesn't make any sense to anybody because you can't Well, they see. can go through your training. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. They can learn it there. But um, but it was eye-opening that that one little thing was causing this, and this is a proficient, this is the guy I want coming to get me. Yeah. Okay? And he's telling me this isn't working and why, and we're looking at it going, what is the issue here? And when we found out what it was, it was so simple yet so like, we have to reshape all of our halligans. So I literally was taking all the bars off all of our fire engines and changing the layout on them. And so that was one of the things I ended up doing in our firehouse was just what we call tuning a Halligan so it would yeah. work right. So it's really interesting how the little details really kind of come up and kind of what? become really important. And I mean, I look at it as a benefit in multiple ways where if, <clears throat> if law enforcement learns how to breach a door similar to how fire does, yes, there's alterations we can make to make it maybe a little bit faster or figure out ways where we're not sitting in front of a fatal funnel that we're concerned about. Right. Um, but if we know how to do it and we get to a call where it's firefighter needs to be there, law enforcement needs to be there and we have to work together. It's not like, okay, get through the door and then we can take over. It's, Hey, let me help you get to this door or, yeah. Hey, I see this little mistake you're doing, like spin this in. And, and it's just a, a way where we can more effectively work together to, to get, into the situation we need to get into because usually when we're called and we're both showing up, it's like the worst of the worst day. So right. if we can have multiple eyes looking at something and be like, hey, if he's just, you know, don't forget to grab the ads and shake it, you you get more leverage out of it. That's highly beneficial. Yeah. So I think what you're really driving towards is that, hey, when we have an active shooter, right? Like that's, yeah. that's the term, right? Like we all know that that's the big event. That's, Everyone's that's the event where everybody's coming right and everybody wants to be involved. And this is one of the things I, I try and preach. So I was involved in the Santa Clara County um, Active Shooter Training Group. So we d developed all the training for all the different agencies in Santa Clara County. And then we did the train the trainer so that they would all do the active shooter the same way. So when we all got on scene and we had multiple agencies coming, we were all in the same playbook, right? Yeah. And so one of the things I worked really hard with was trying to relate to police because i always looked at it from a rescue task force and then a um oh i have to remember all these terms now uh but the rescue task force 
a lot of times rescue task force ends up being four officers and three firefighters being a medical unit. Yeah. But what I tried to let these guys know is like, hey, you don't have to make this a medical unit. Like you're going to have RTFs that are simply going in to get victims out. Totally get that. But you can have an RTF combined of both fire of both police officers and then truck crews, which are guys who are all trained, have all the saws, all the halligans. They even have what called heavy halligans, which is a 40 inch bar with a sledgehammer, like some bigger stuff. Yeah. To get through they can drive. Yeah, they can bring all that stuff with them. And now you have an RTF that's actually a breaching RTF, right? So now, because let's face it, when you're on the ram or you're working the Halligan, you don't have your weapon downrange. No, you're you're, 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 st- you're, st- you're staring right there, right? <laughs> so there's no difference in my eyes, and I'm sure I'm going to catch flack for this, which I don't really care. Um, there's no difference for a firefighter to be there or a cop on that tool. So if the firefighter is better on that tool and knows forceful entry really well, they're going to get out of that fatal funnel for all of you way faster. So why why do we get caught up in this position where I can't get in there? Like this is one of the right. biggest arguments I made. I always reminded my cops, I said, imagine you're in my shoes and you don't get your weapons. And they would always be like, oh, okay, I get it. So that's, that was always my caveat to like, you never leave me, right? Yeah. But the flip side was, is, hey, these guys need our help, right? And those guys inside there who are bleeding sure as hell need our help. Yeah. So let's get the doors open so these guys can push in and then we can get in behind them and start helping people. It's almost like if you look at it from a medical perspective when it's like CPR. Yeah. Right? We go on scene, we do CPR. And then when somebody more trained than us, more proficient at it, like a nurse or... Right or paramedic shows up, they're going to immediately take over. Right. I could almost see that in the same fashion. I mean, I understand both sides, but I could almost see like, hey, if we're going to get through the door and out of the fatal funnel faster, let's get the dude who knows how to get the door open. Right. Faster. Exactly. Well, I mean, imagine this. So you're in an outward opening door, right? And you've just driven the ad into place and you're pulling, you don't have enough leverage. And here comes a firefighter with another halligan and you marry those two halligans together. Now you have a 60-inch bar and you two just pull that thing open, right? Yeah. It wasn't that he had to do anything special. He showed up with the right tool. You married the tools together and you pulled the door open. Here he has a, a New York hook. He can hook a New York hook into your Halligan and pull that open. But he knows that, right? Like he know that's what he knows. That would that's his job. Yeah. To know that. Right? Your job is to get that is basically get a Halligan in there if you're pulling an outward opening door. But basically all we're doing is we're supporting one another, right? And this is to me, it's the most important thing, and that requires training before the event. It requires police and fire to train together. So when we when we arrive on a scene and I see Brian and I go, okay, I've trained with Brian. Brian's going to take care of me. Yeah. Right? I'll get behind you with gunfire coming with my tools because I trust you, because I built a relationship with you, because I trained with you in the past. The worst thing agencies do is they say, oh, no, we're each doing individual training. Yeah. It's the absolute worst thing we can do. And I think a lot of places are moving away from that. I, I know that, I hope so. like, I think it's like once a year, which I think they're working on making it more. We we do like those big trainings specifically for active shooter where we have fire come out. We have our law enforcement guys come out and it's not just our agency. It's every law enforcement agency inside of where we operate comes through our active shooter that, we host and we work together to figure out 
how best to do it. And that's when we get the questions that get to come up. How can we improve this? How can we make right. it better? And that's when it's like, hey, if we work more as a team versus, hey, my role is law enforcement, your role is fire, we're going to stay in our lanes. Right. It's like, hey, this is kind of a four-lane highway. We got to be able to just switch lanes and jump into the carpool lane and jump into the slow lane if we need to, to get in and help the victims out and to to stop the threat as soon as possible. Right. And so, so you said those evolutions, right? So a lot of times nobody forces a door in those evolutions. Nobody has to get through anything to get to somebody. All the mm -hmm. doors are open. So your training actually starts to teach you that you already have access, right? Yeah. And if you look at the VTA active shooter back in Santa Clara County, um, we had a bunch of Santa Clara County uh, sheriffs that showed up to that. And the guys from the SWAT team, because doors got closed and they got locked and they had to get through them. And those guys figured out how to use uh, uh, fire extinguishers and crowbars to get doors open so wow. they can go after that shooter. So that's the thing that like, when we start talking about doing active shooter training, it's important to do is to bring in some of the elaborate pieces, doors, roll up doors, things that we're gonna have to access because if we don't do it in training and we don't practice next to each other, then when we actually go to an event, we're learning for the first time at the event. And that's yeah. not when we want to be learning. We want to be learning before the event together so that when we get to the event, we can go, oh, I, I know exactly how to do this. After all the training that you kind of go through and you're part of, you're like, if you had the chance to like dream up your favorite way to do training, what would it look like? And in the firehouse, food was always of the highest importance, right? Like, We'll train all day, but will somebody cook us a really good meal? Yeah, you guys and, teach you how to put out fires and you send them to culinary school. Right, that's pretty much the deal, Same. right? Like, and if you're a culinary chef, we'll hire you and teach you to be a firefighter because yeah. God knows we need to get fed. Or don't and just have them cook till you get right. back. Exactly. So there's actually agencies that actually they assign somebody for the day to do nothing but be chef, which I think I should That'd be a dream. Been part of, yeah. Um, you're a hero and a chef. <laughs> so. We took this idea, right? And we just ran with it. I'm like, if I could, I'm like, I need something that rhymes with breaching. I'm like, barbecue. I'm like, I don't know why it rhymes with it to me, but it just sounded right. Because right? they both start with B's. B. That's about as far as we get. I'm a fireman. I'm not an engineer, right? Like, I do not think through things very well. So I'm like, breaching, barbecue. I'm like, that's perfect. So we uh, bought a smoker. We put together this for the five hour breaching class that we designed that was basically off this concept I had of doors, doors, doors. I always hear the, uh, it's the Molly Cruz song, girls, girls, girls. Yes. And in my head, it's like doors, doors, doors. What would they do if I just had five hours of door training, right? Like, and so that's where my head went. And so we did five hours of door, we were like, let's develop five hours of door training. And then after that, let's feed these guys like really good barbecue. And I sat down and said, okay, what would I do if I had five hours to really try and take somebody from like, very little knowledge of halligans uh, or doors or building instruction and try to bring them up to speed with as little classroom time as possible. Sometimes I feel like, and this is just my experience in the fire service, is I'll sit in a classroom and just try not to fall asleep so I don't piss off the instructor. Uh, and I remember, back to well, I remember back to boot camp hand where they straight smack you. So yeah. like in my head, it was like, oh, I'll go stand up in the back because I am not going to get hit. Uh, by one of these instructors. So I'm like, let's just go, let's just do this very, very uh, hands-on. Let's get a lot of people involved and let's try and drive this home. And so, um, and the other thing is I want to do it free. Like one of the hardest things uh, for both police and fire is to get time. A lot of agencies require their personnel when they go do training to pay for it out of their own pocket. 
and I'm like, I'm building a product. I'm creating something that I think is really important. Uh, it's so important to me that I'll teach you for free. And that was a big deal to me. Like, I need to give back to these people who I care about so much because I want them to win. I hear Sticker Nick talking, saying, free is good to approve a concept and start charging. Right, 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 right. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I mean, there's and there's definitely a piece to that. So we do five hours of hands-on door training. Uh, we are talking about doing bigger trainings down the down the line, and those would be pay-to-play type events. But this thing, the, this for us is an opportunity for people to come in and really get a chance to like put hands on the product to see if it's really what we say it is, right? They, I mean, we kind of had that mentality that, hey, if you if I give you a puppy and you take it home, man, you're probably keeping the puppy, right? Yeah. Well, if you honestly come and play with our stuff, because we believe in it. I, I believe in my stuff 110%. I bet that once you come there, you're going to be like, hey, that's actually way better than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, in the industry, we're the only door company that uses a laminate wood door. Uh, and I was laughed at when we started doing that um, because everybody's like, no, it's got to be steel. It's got to be heavy. It's and, and the problem is, and the part that we saw that they didn't see was a majority of these doors are made out of like either two-inch receiver stock or two-and-a-half-inch receiver stock, which is this very heavy square tubing. And when they build the doors, they become like a safe. They have no flex at all, like, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> if you go after a real door, real door flexes. Like sheet metal doors flex all over the place, yeah. right? Wood flexes. Everything flexes. So we wanted a door that replicated that, right? So that was really a big, at that moment, we're like, we're going to do this. We're going to change the industry and we're going to challenge it. Well, guys have still, they're still like not really sure that that wood door, right, will hold up. Uh, and the great thing is, is that Breach and Barbecue, uh, as well as just how many people have come to uh, purchase doors from us, have just come back to us saying, we are so happy with this product. Yeah. We are so happy with what you've done. And we have beat the living hell out of these doors. One of my friends posted up on Instagram. He goes, hey, dude, your door is tougher than a $3 steak. And I'm like, man, that is a great news, right? Like, that is a perfect way to explain it. Probably today it would be a $5 steak. But, uh, you know. The inflation, yeah. Right. But, but it makes sense, right? So uh, we, we came up with a really good product. And then the guys now get to go out and train on it. And we get to train with them. We get to learn from them. They get to learn from us. And so now the next point is, like, eventually this training becomes something that we do full-time, right? That is probably when we look at the future of forcible entry and kind of looking out over the horizon, there is a bigger training piece coming. So is forcible entry where, like, if we go back to 2010, <clears throat> you start on doors. We're now about 12, 13 years. Is, it, is this where you thought you'd be? Or is this even closer? Are you way beyond or is this already taken so many turns you don't even know what freeway you're on anymore? It is far better than I thought it would be right now. That's good. I am so excited about where we are right now. I am. It went places I didn't expect it to go. We introduced uh, about three years ago a direct mount door system that uh, any agency could buy our door and build mounted directly into their shipping container. And we provided all the instructions and everything. And, and that was new. I didn't realize how new it was. Like everybody built a standalone door, like mm -hmm. drop it in the middle of a parking lot and we can all train on it. Right. Yeah. But what they didn't do is have that 
seem to be able to be integrated into a shipping container or into a building so they can be like literally put in there uh, based on the footprint and on the opening build uh, be assembled right into it. We went after that market because we saw that need and we realized there's shipping containers everywhere. Like they're all oh, over yeah. the place, right? I think almost every agency I've been to has one somewhere in the back. Right. And if, and, and this is the thing, if you have a shipping container sitting there doing nothing and you can turn that, I mean, you can hire a local welder, buy our product, we'll send you all the instructions and that local welder can install that literally in a day. Like I, I was talking to a guy down in Tulare County, a really nice dude. And uh, he's a fire training officer down there. And he hired his welder, his, the guy that they always hire, mm -hmm. right? Comes out in a day, knocks the door in, right? Wow, it looks great. Sending me pictures and showing me, mm -hmm. like, we're chatting about it as he, as he goes through the process. So you now just took that shipping container from something that very possibly was useless, just sitting there holding ground, to now you've created a training environment out of it, right? Where they can force a door, go inside, you could smoke out that room. Yeah. Right? You can do a lot it's with that. It's not only an environment... With a shipping container, you almost have a training facility. Right. You can move and put almost anywhere. Right. And and if you're creative, if you have a couple of containers, you could actually arrange them and create rooms and stuff. You yeah. could actually put multiple doors in these scenarios, right? For the military, they could do little villages. Right. And they do that. They're called mm -hmm. mount villages. And we used to train in them way back in the day, but they're probably changed even more now. The ability to take a door and just put it in any structure, whether it's wood, concrete, a shipping container, whatever and take that portal from a standard door to an actually forcible entry door that you can work inward, outward, right? You can do shotgun breach, you can do explosive breach on it, you can just do whatever you want. That changes your training environment. And that's so important because if we don't change the training environments, if our guys are constantly walking up to doors and just opening the door and walking in, then when they go to an actual event and that door is locked, they're just in that puzzled place again yeah. of like not being ready to do that. So it's a really nice piece to be able to take those doors and throw them in. And then we actually developed our window system uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, it's called our VES window. And the VES window uh, would literally, so we always use the example of a truck company because we know the truck, like we talked about earlier, is a, a toolbox, right? So they have a circ saw, a circular saw, and they have a drill on the truck. And literally with those two tools and about an hour, they can mount one of our windows into a shipping container. So in an hour, they've taken a shipping container and actually installed a window. If they hired a local welder in the door in a day, they had a door in there. So now they're literally changing the entire outlook of this container within yeah. a day, right? And so you could put multiple windows in there. If they ever wanted to add walls, there's all these pieces that are coming together. And, and it just kind of opens up, like we do full shipping container builds, but we're also looking at a complete do-it-yourself kit, that we'd be able to ship to all 48 states um, that would give you the ability to put in two doors, two windows, hinge props, cutting doors, roll-up door props. I mean, that's that's the next evolution of this piece. Like you'd slide all the product into the shipping container, close up, and right shipping container with everything inside goes right to whatever agency well, no, nationwide. So, so, uh, so we do the shipping container where we build it, and then you, when you receive it, it's already done. But imagine you have a shipping container and you're on a tighter budget, right? Yeah. You can't afford to have me build that whole thing out. But you get some really talented, especially with volunteer departments where you've got guys who are probably welders already. You can buy our do-it-yourself kit. And literally, if they took the time to like install everything, they would have the exact same box we created. Wow. And so 
that gives these guys, these smaller agencies and these uh, volunteer departments an opportunity to have the same level of training, right, that these larger departments have that have larger budgets. So we're trying to meet all these different levels, right, as well as try and drive um, the focus or the um, drive training to where everybody has access to the products that they need so they can be successful. And we're trying to develop new products as we go. Uh, we have some in the works right now that when they get released, will be out on our website. And then yeah. if you're on our email list, uh, and if people want to be on our email list, all they have to do is go to our contact page mm -hmm. and enter all their information on their contact page. And then all the updates that we send out will be sent to them too. Whether or not they buy something off that contact page is not a big deal. If they just want to be part of our uh, our team or our tribe, where they start to listen to what we're doing, they can access us that way. That's cool. And so it's nice because like we're going to come out with a roof prop and we're going to integrate that into our boxes and we're going to create the next level of training uh, if we have the ability to. And and that's exciting. I mean, yeah. it's really exciting. So I think you asked me something along the line of, uh, I think I've gotten there very slowly. Is it where I expected it to be? No. It's far surpassed anything I've expected. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's That's super huge. Dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I had a guy ask me one day, he goes, uh, you sell doors. You're a door salesman. You're, yeah, and he goes, you know, that's all you sell. And I'm like, well, we sell some other things too. But they, he couldn't wrap around his, he couldn't wrap his head around the idea that we build this infrastructure and that infrastructure is so important that guys actually buy that. And it, it's funny because like, yeah, People may buy a door, but they may not be able to mount that in their training their training facility or in their uh, shipping container. Yeah, uh, we meet that need. Sure. We've re uh, we recently put eight doors at Hayward's new fire training facility in Hayward, California. It's an amazing facility, multiple burn rooms, tons of layout. I mean, it's just amazing facility. And Hayward takes their fire training really, really seriously. And they like, we, they wanted a door on every, they have like basically rooms that are replicating apartments. Mm -hmm. Every one of those has a forced plunger door on it. Oh, that's sweet. So as the guys hit these apartments, man, they're going to force every door to check for extension of the fire, right? Like they're going to do all the training at the standard speed they would do it at a real event, which is going to build all that muscle memory, all that reactive memory that they need to be able to be effective at the fire and move quickly through an evolution, right? It just won't slow them down. So that's been really cool to see. That's nice because they don't have to replace doors constantly. They buy your door and it'll last for way longer than one or two or his doors hit and it's done. They're replacing it. Yeah. They get to hit yours 25,000 plus times right. before they're like, hey, we need another door. Well, and, and, and the beautiful thing is they won't need another door. They'll just need us to come out and tune it up or replace some parts. So oh, easy. Right. It's even so better. It's yeah. like, so once the once the frames are in and the system's in, um, they never have to buy another door. They just have to buy some parts. So what what got you into using shipping containers as as creating it like your little main platforms to kind of give mobile, like basically semi mobile training facilities? No, you so you hit it on the head. Actually, the minute you said mobile is the reason that we use shipping containers. So let me explain that. So we're in California, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if I wanted to build an actual facility, I would need building permits, 
soil samples, just start naming off all the things that were required for a building, right? And then they can't move it. It's a set structure, right? Shipping containers became a really nice platform that I could drop and utilize as a standalone building structure, right, for training. And I could move it from agents, or excuse me, from battalion to battalion. So one of the things that's happening in the fire service, I'm sure it's happening in PD too, is a lot of times you'll build your one training place, the the tower, we, we always call it the tower, the training facility, the range, whatever it is. It's in one location, right? Yeah. So you pull agent, you pull fire engines out of two or three different areas, right? Areas that they normally cover their first due and you pull them into training and now their first due is not covered, right? And other, other trucks are moving in between both their first due and the other first due. And so coverage is limited, right? And that's called centralized training. And one of the things we're finding about centralized training is it doesn't work as well. We're actually taking people out of their first due and we're making longer response times. And with more call volume and more calls, we can't be pulling trucks and personnel out of their first due. We got to leave them in their first due. So how do we facilitate training? We take smaller venues like this shipping container and we drop them in their battalions. So now every battalion actually has a training facility, a small one, not maybe the full big training facility like Hayward has at their yeah. main, but they can do all the basic muscle memory work in their battalion, right? And then if they do have to pull them to a larger training, they've already been trained up. So there's not as, there's a, there's less lag to get them up to speed at the bigger training event, right? It's now it's coordinating all the battalions together, right? But here, all the battalion trains able to be done, right? So it's decentralized training. And that, to me, makes a lot more sense. And so if you're a smaller agency, right? So maybe you can only have, afford one shipping container, right? Mm-hmm. So you drop that shipping container, but you can call your local, and, and every one of these fire departments has this, because uh, they have a local tow company, right? Because the local tow company probably brings vehicles for them to do auto extrication on, yep. right? So that same truck that picks up that, that Connex box, or excuse me, it picks up that, pick, that truck, and drops it on and off, those big 20-foot flatbed mm-hmm. can grab a shipping container, pull it up on the back of them, and drop them off at different Wherever. locations, right? So now you have something that's truly mobile, can be moved from battalion to battalion as they do training, right? So it just, that, I think that was the thing that really drove me towards the shipping containers is there just are, there, there's something that doesn't require a building permit. It doesn't require your uh, motor pool or what we call MSC to do maintenance on it. There's no maintenance to be done on it, right? So it eliminates those two big pieces and allows people to buy something that they can move anywhere they want in their city for training for whatever battalion. It sounds like when you come out with those instructional videos, those guys almost be able to do the maintenance themselves. Right. Absolutely. As they're training, it's like, hey, we're doing training. Let's just almost like you maintain like the cleanliness of the trucks with vacuuming, washing and all that on a constant basis and we maintain the cleanliness of our weapons just an added step hey we just train on it let's clean it up real quick this is what we got to do we got to maybe grease and oil the hinges do certain things to the roll doors pack it all up nice so you know when it comes to the next training it's good to go yeah there's actually very little that maintenance wise that needs to be done to most of our product usually it's just putting a little bit of oil on the hinges making sure uh depending on the agency how tight they want the door to fit into the jam. Cause that's one of the things that like, 
sometimes doors over time they get uh, the j- space between the actual door and the jam gets wider and wider, so it gets easier to get the tools in there. Yeah. So they won't reset that. So we have all the instructions on how to reset those blocks so they're nice and tight, right? So there's some very small things that they can do to make the training better. But in the big picture, most of the product will require very little maintenance. It's just basically removing all the old material from it and setting it up with new material so that the next group basically can get to work. And um, we've tried to make it really easy with all of it. Most of the stuff can be purchased at Home Depot, which makes it really easier in your agencies so they're not having to like call you and go, can I get your special doodad yeah, to go in here, it. right? Like that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I never did. So that was one of the reasons all the stuff that we do, we, we give them instructions uh, on where to go at Home Depot and get the same stuff. It almost sounds like <clears throat> not to like sell your product for you on the show, but it saves them money. You don't have to do all the soil samples, the pulling permits, then the cost of building up this grand facility. It's like maybe buy a couple or, or even just one box and it can do a lot. Yeah. And if it doesn't do everything, then it's probably cheaper to just buy a second box. Right. And if you need them spread all over, like you're talking in some of these battalions that are doing centralized training, it's cheaper to just put them out almost right at each station. So if a hot call comes out, they're needed. They're still within their response time yeah. versus extending. Um, so everybody deci- de- um, defines success very differently. Would you say forcible entry has been a successful a startup for you? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it's successful because I have a great team. So like at the end of the day, right, when you look around the guys you're working with and you go, am I succeeding? And you see these guys growing and getting better and doing more work every day and, and, and really like taking what you thought of and creating real product out of it and growing that product, yeah, we're, we're successful because we're a good team and we take care of each other and we take care of our customers. And that's truly how I, I look at success. Numbers are never gonna define us as a company. Um, we are always gonna look around and go, are these the guys that I trust to like create the next product to make sure we take care of our first responders? And this team that we've got is is really cool. I mean, it's a really good team and there's some young guys in there. I mean, some yeah. really young guns and they are super motivated to see this really succeed. And that, that's been fantastic for me. And for me, it, it's a success. Um, and I'm excited to see where we can go in the future. I think that's got me really excited right now. So it, it sounds definitely like you have a team that challenges you and to produce the best products, to provide the best type of training for agencies. is You guys are kind of setting this new standard. Is there any type of push or change that you guys are looking to do in the future for maybe just like firefighters or law enforcement or both as a whole in, in California? Or is there any change you're looking to make that may go nationwide? So... There's a, I can't remember if it was uh, Simon Sinek or Jim Collins. One of these guys said, uh, what is your big, hairy, aud- aud- audacious goal, right? And my BHAG or my big, hairy, <laughs> audacious goal is to build the first West Coast Tactical Breaching Center where we could bring in law enforcement, fire, and they would not only train on our product, but we would actually have a building that had 
all four types of construction on all four sides and actually have live doors in it. And they would come in there and they, we would train them up for a day. And then we would give them tactical assignments the next day. And they'd actually go and work on real doors in real environments where they would be stressed. Uh, but then they would get to see the techniques that they had learned pay off in an actual real door. And uh, I, I think one of the things that gets missed, because if you go back 20 years ago, uh, before there was quite so much uh, uh, legality and everything, mm -hmm. you could get acquired structures pretty easily. And acquired structure, for those who don't know, it means that like if uh, Sun Microsystems has this giant building, then they're going to destroy it uh, or they're going to rebuild the whole thing. Uh, they would give fire departments and police departments access to it to basically destroy it, blow through the walls, breach all the doors, bust out the glass. Like they could literally just go in there and just practice all these skills. Well, those skill, those acquired structures are getting fewer and fewer, right? And it's harder. And the legality in my city that I worked in made it almost impossible. We got very few of them, right? And so that gives very little actual hands-on training on actual product in the actual environment or building construction that I would that I would want them to train on. This facility will let them actually get not only hands-on with our doors, but then they'll get to see that the techniques and stuff that we teach them actually have real world, real world application on real world building. And so that building uh, and that facility is in the planning stages right now. And we're trying to bring in other, um, other companies that would be uh, willing to invest in something like that on the West coast, because there's not a good West coast facility. Yeah. Uh, most of them are done mm -hmm. at like a range. It's, you know, some cities range, right. And it's not set up for what we want to yeah. do. Or we dump a door in the middle of a parking lot. Right. And so, which is great. At least we're doing that right. But we want to bring that next level of training out there where the guys have the ability to do explosive training here in California, shotgun breaching. They want to blow walls on the doors. They want to do whatever they want to do. And then they want to, and then the benefit is, is they can actually um, come in there and say, hey, I want to build a breach, concrete walls, wood walls, uh, steel walls. I want to be able to do six breaches on each type of door and I want to pull all this data from it. Well, if when we allow them to do that, they pull data off their charges. We want to be able to have the manufacturers who build those charges as well as those guys bring all that data out there so that it's all, I don't want to say public knowledge, but accessible to all these agencies. So that way, when they end up in a lawsuit, mm -hmm. hypothetically, mm -hmm. right? where they're saying, well, they, the charge was too hot or the charge was, you know, there was something happened because there was a, um, somebody got injured, you know, outside of this. They'll have the documentation and going, nope, we've trained with these different types. This was the style, this was the style breach we had to use. This was the style charge. This was the level of the charge had to be. All that detail's there, right? So now the data is there. So when they go into court, they are preloaded with all the information that they needed. Yeah. Right. And they're not getting hung out to dry because they didn't have all that information. We want to help them build that out. And we want to build out a facility that they can come in and train in that, in that same environment that you experience, where it's like people that want you to succeed and it's a fun environment and there's music playing and we're enjoying the time together. Right. Because when you enjoy what you do, you don't have to remember it. Yeah. Right. It just becomes natural. Like I talked about the fact that I loved four wheelers. I never had to figure out what a Dana 60, Dana 40 Ford, Ford nine inch axle were. As soon as I heard them, as soon as I saw pictures of them, they locked in my head because I liked it. 
I cared about. I wanted to know that information. If I make an environment, people are like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Like that's an inward, that's an outward, that's a commercial, that's a secure tech, that's this. You never have to worry about because it like it's been a fun environment. You've got good pictures. You've got some details that you can go look back on. I mean, I might be spilling beans too early, but we're working on a book. Like when we do British Embargo, what we really want to start doing is handing you a book. Here, start filling in all the blanks. Yeah. Right? So guys, when they walk out, they have all the detail of everything they just did. They could take notes. They have time to take notes. They're encouraged to sit down and really think about what they learned. What did they, what else would they like to learn? Right? We're gathering all that data so that we can create the best class that meets the needs of our fire and police professionals. And that's our whole goal. And that's, that's the goal of the West Coast Tactical Breaching Center is to make something that guys can come to and just have a great time breaching, blowing things up, shotgunning, do all of it. I, I just think it's a, yeah. I think it's so necessary. And then the other side will be is like, I want to address active shooter, uh, combined teamwork, and then uh, uh, RFTs, combined RFTs for breaching at the door at an actual, uh, an actual door. Not a, not a forcible entry door, right? Like an actual, here's your out of the door, right? Maybe that door is not happening. How would you guys integrate? How would you guys do this, right? Create those evolutions where guys, where teams can come together and do that training. I think if we do that and we give that opportunity to agencies, they can only get better. Oh, of course. Especially right? if you have a big environment like that. Yeah. It sounds like forcible entry is making a lot of changes in, in a really good direction. And they're kind of, their ships being steered by a really good captain. Is this something that you're looking to just create uh, a facility for people to go to? Or, or are you trying to change anything in the beginning? So like going all the way to like a academy for fire and for police? Because I know going through it myself, we didn't breach anything. Right. So is this something that you're looking to also change in the initial for guys coming out and being a little bit more confident if they have to go through the door, like, okay, I went through a little bit of breaching training from my academy because forceful entry provided all this awesome stuff right. and training materials. And then this is everything you're doing is piggybacking off of that, like moving forward, or is this just, hey, once you're kind of out of your agency, now we have all these extra cool stuff you get to go to. So we're working with... Um or we're trying to help create legislature that like the fire service. So um, if you came into the fire service, you are mandated to go through about 16 hours of force blunt training, all right? And then you're tested to make sure you actually know how to force a door and you know how to get through one, okay? So what we wanna see is the police service meet a similar standard, right? In the academy, they've at least gotta know how to go through an inward opening door and an outward opening door. And like we talked about a little bit earlier, if they had 16 hours, they could easily do uh, the four hours of um, book work, mm -hmm. right? So they learn about building construction, about basic tool leverage, what the tools are called, all that kind of basic stuff yeah. that they have to learn. Then we have four hours of basic breaching, and then we have four hours of advanced breaching, and then we have four hours of saw work. And we put all that together, right? We help design that for them. Uh, we help create, uh, I, I would hope we could help create legislation that help, would help move that forward. So that agencies were then mandated to do it, which would also help get funding for them to do it, right? Because that's what happened in Texas. Um, and then what would happen from there is now when you have everybody coming out at a certain level of understanding, right? Both police and fire. Now what the Tactical Breaching Center would do is help not only develop uh, advanced scenarios for all personnel. And, and I'm thinking about this is, so you got training in the academy, right? 
But two or three years later, if you haven't put your hands on a Halligan or if you haven't put your hand, if you haven't worked a door, you're going to need a refresher, right? You're going to need some of the challenges, oh, yeah. something that makes you think and makes you realize I got to be good at this. That's the tactical breaching center. That's the, that, that's us getting you out there, getting you on, ref, re, running you through a refresher course, putting you on real doors, reminding you about all those pieces of the puzzle that you may not have, you know, had a chance to remember because honest to God, I know my law enforcement personnel and I know my fire personnel are busy. They're running calls every day, right? Stop. Right. And so we got to give them a chance to get over to the, some of these courses where they can stop all the noise of the standard day and think, okay, let's talk about doors again. It's been a while, right? Let's talk about what a building construction looks like. Let's talk about how we integrate as a team in an active shooter. Let's talk about those things. That's really where we're going to focus on. There's some other areas that we hope to be able to do because of the facility we hope to have um, that will definitely follow the active shooter, long range, um, long range weapons use and things like that. We want to have a weapons course on there because part of this thing for me is to make sure that fire integrates around law enforcement and active um, weapons use at the same time. Because if you haven't, as a firefighter, ever been around somebody shooting a weapon, it can be unnerving. Mm-hmm. And not knowing what the sound sounds like right. um, can leave you at a disadvantage, right? So I want to create that environment so that we can integrate those, those two groups together in a way that's really positive and they walk away having grown together and then conquering uh, different obstacles in front of them. Um, and this could include, like, we, we dream about, like, uh, a breaching uh, course that's basically a timed you know, kind of like an obstacle course, except yeah. it's a breaching course, right? And uh, we're working with um, a gentleman uh, out of uh, South Carolina, Thomas Tardo, who runs a Valkyrie Tactical. And he, yeah. does, and he works with the South Carolina uh, Tactical Association. He runs a full course like that. And so we're talking, we have a door out with him. And so we're, we're talking about what is he doing? So we're trying to gather information and data from other agencies and what they're coming up with. Yeah. And then we're trying to take all that information and then create this tactical breaching center, right? Like so the breaching it, Olympics. Yeah, exactly. So it should be really cool. And, uh, and, and my hope is that it allows agencies to really become, to really, um, to be prepared for the unknown. Yeah. To be prepared for what they didn't expect. It's, it sounds like you're producing products to put them in front of any challenge they, they can think of. If they buy your product and they're like, hey, what if we throw an interior wall up with a door? Well, they can do that. Yeah. If they want it with, like you said, you weren't making it with breaching walls and you had Vacville reach out and you're like, we can do that. Second story window, we can do that. Want to stack boxes on top of each other? I'm sure you could do that. Yeah. You want to make uh, staircases inside, spiral staircases? I'm sure you'll figure that out. Yeah. All kinds of stuff that you may not see, but it's the one time you do see it, it's you want to be ready for it. Yeah. Well, we've already written plans for a four box build. So uh, two 40 foot boxes on the bottom, two 40 foot boxes on the top, all stacked as one big uh, facility. <laughs> and so we've already started building out the designs for that. Uh, we're working with the California Department of Corrections on that one. Wow. Um, we, um, we know already that stacking two boxes is super important because one of the things with our VES windows, uh, VES is on the fire side. But means vent enter surge. One of the things that we uh, need to do is we need to make sure that our fire departments are able to practice VES because uh, a little while back there was a big um, promotion, and that's probably not the right term, but basically what came out from federal government was 
um, close the door before you go to sleep. Okay. And the reason you close your door before you go to sleep is because when you close the door, if there's a fire outside of your door and your door is open, you will probably become, um, you, you probably die from CO poisoning and from the poison that's in the, in the burning material. Okay. But if your door is closed, like 90% of it stays out. Wow. Like your survivability profile goes way up. So like for, for whatever reason, we got into this idea that we don't want to close our doors at night. But the reality is, is you should all be, every single kid in every room should be closing their door um, because it actually protects them from fire. Um, and it protects them from the smoke and the gases and all the toxic uh, elements that are inside those gases. And so um, that was a big, uh, that was pushed by the federal government. Um, and then on the flip side, the fire service didn't really attack the VES part because if you think about it, now we have all these people inside the rooms with the door closed, well, how do they get out? They're not going to open the door because they got to go through fire, right? Yeah. So now they're in a, so now especially an apartment complex, so you think of a single family home on a single level, they can just jump out the window, right? Yeah. Like that's not a big deal. But think about most apartment complexes. The when you walk into a apartment complex, especially on a second floor, right? You have the the walkway. Well, when you generally walk into the apartment, there's a living room, kitchen kind of thing, and then the bedrooms are all in the back. Yeah. So if you have most common place for a fire is a kitchen. So if the front of the apartment's on fire and they've shut their doors, the only way out is through the windows on the back side. And if you look at the back of an apartment, it's generally a giant flat wall with a bunch of windows above, right? So this is a VES evolution. This is the reason you put a 40-foot box on top of a 40-foot box and you put three VES windows. Sac City just did this. We 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 talked through them this through this scenario. And they're like, we've actually already set up rooms that we address as these, you know, rooms in an apartment yeah. in our big complex. We need to get these windows. So now they can actually do the entire vent enter search evolution by simply putting our windows into those three points on their box where the three rooms are. Oh, nice. And so now they get to run the full evolution. And so by creating these evolutions and these pieces of the puzzle, like a window, it doesn't sound like a big deal, right? but we're addressing a federal mandate in some ways. And so we're trying to look at federal mandates as what are they trying to push us to like get people to think about, right? So people are going to close their doors. Then we need to create an evolution so that the firefighters go through the window, they break the window out, they make entry into the room, they search the room, they close the door if the door's not closed, they find the victim and take the victim out the window and they do it over and over and over again. And that's so... This is where, like, we have to be creating bigger projects. Yeah. And I think that, that'll be an interesting step for us because um, we know that that's coming. I think that that's something that we're all wrapping our heads around is that we're going to be building these bigger and bigger facilities in time. And we're excited about that. Um, but that all moves us towards the, uh, the West Coast Actual Operation Center, too. And that's... Still, I mean, it seems like a big project, but it still seems like a money saver to agencies because they're not developing and paying for plans right. to then build a two-story or three-story facility apartment complex. Right. Almost just mock-up apartment complex when they can just, you know, get two-story, uh, two-story, two-story stacks of conics boxes all lined up next to each other and sim get in there, simulate. I mean, the bedroom sizes are going to vary no matter where you go. Right. Just simulate entering, doing a search, coming back out, and then going to the next window. Absolutely. No, it's a great, it's a great facility. It's a great way to uh, utilize shipping containers uh, and really get the most bang for your buck, right? Everybody, yeah. especially now, right? We've got inflation going up and stuff. Everybody's trying to watch their dollars, right? 
So our goal is to help them be able to maximize what they've got in that budget and be able to create the best system possible so they can move their training forward, right? So Yeah. So we've talked about training in Northern California, Southern California, setting up a training facility and maybe legislation inside of California, potentially nationwide. Is there anything you're doing that goes outside of California? At this moment, um, there is discussions with folks I have in Texas. Uh, I have some really good friends in Texas who have actually taken our, if you'll call it a cause, uh, up to the White House. Uh, okay. They've got some friends up there and they've been chatting with them. Um, I'm waiting to kind of hear a report back if they were able to make any traction with it. I'm hoping to be able to connect with those folks. Um, I would love a chance to get up to a higher level only because I'm I'm fearful that if at the lower level we're constantly fighting to try and get up, it'll just take forever, yeah. right? Whereas if we can get someone at that level to talk with us and go, okay, what's what's what are you seeing? Yeah. How easy is this to fix? Because I don't think the fix is that hard. Um, I think 16 hours is a really reasonable amount of time to ask for. Yeah, and I think the I, I think the training um, cost requirements are really reasonable for the outcome uh, of what you're going to get from it. Um, so we're working on that uh, right now. Like I have conversations with uh, people across the country uh, regarding breaching um, from. Uh, Lawrence, Kansas, I have a guy out there that we chat all the time because he's a really good breacher and he's a law enforcement guy and he wants to know how to do it better. And we're having enough conversations that I'm probably going to fly out there just because I want to connect with this guy and make sure he's got everything he needs regarding our door system. Nice. And I can't do that all the time, but like when somebody reaches out enough and they're like engaged in that way, um, that's who I serve. Yeah. Right. If you can't go send sticker Nick. Yeah, well, I'm gonna make that. I'm gonna make that stick for Nick, so he's always known as Sticker Nick from now. Yeah, uh, he's not gonna like that because because Nick is Nick is um, a marketing genius. Like he is truly like yeah. he's so far beyond stickers. It's not even funny. And I do love my sticker guy, so I'll give a little shout out to uh, Max. It started with Nick, and now it's now it's Max. Max is slap sticker. So nice. Yeah, Max is a good dude. I uh, love that guy. Um, but. Yeah, I think that it'll be a challenge to get the national level to listen to us, but yeah. I think it's important that we try, right? Because if we don't try, then that doesn't have any value. Yeah. Well, so on lower level, is there any way for, besides like a, a firefighter or a, someone in law enforcement who's worked in California and has decided to leave the state, is there any way for anybody in another state to find out who you are? I know you mentioned you have a website. You said forcebludger.com. Is is that pretty much it? Is uh, there social media? So absolutely. Thank you. Uh, So our website is forcebleentry.com. And uh, there's a contact page there that they can contact us through uh, if they want any information, right? Um, Outside of that, we're on Instagram at forcebleentryinc as well as uh, Facebook at forcebleentryinc. We don't share a lot of training stuff. Um, and the reason is I work with some really good law enforcement folks and they have shown me videos of people that have basically taken techniques like are being shared on the fire sites and using them to break into people's homes. And I will not facilitate that. So that is one of the things that people probably wonder, like, 
well, you do all this training, but you don't put a lot of stuff up there. And the reason I don't is because I don't know who's watching it and what intentions they have behind it. Um, any agency that reaches out to me that is like uh, a reasonable group of people, like trying to get better, I will be happy to send them our training library. Uh, I'm not trying to keep this stuff secret. I just don't want it to get it in the wrong hands. Yeah, once they're they kind of either, what, contact you through an email, through their department's email. Right. Or they, can prove that they are who they say they are. Yeah. <clears throat> share training material. Right, yeah. It makes sense if, to me. If you send me an email from, you know, your personal email, I don't know who you are. Yeah. Right? Uh, Jiblo at gmail.com doesn't work. But you come in as, you know, your name, dot city of, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I get it. You're probably in in the group, right? Um, we do try and do our due diligence to make sure we're actually dealing with who we think we're dealing with. So we just don't go um, throughout all the information immediately. And um, and on your website, they have access to, I'm assuming, if they're from out of state or even from within California, come set up a time to do breaching a barbecue or buying oh, yeah. products straight from your website and, and talk with you about maybe specific needs they need on top of what you offer? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anybody that reaches out to us with specific questions, Nick will initially get back to them uh, immediately. We typically turn emails and quotes around in 24 hours. Uh, we try to meet the needs of our first responders. And then anyone that has questions, Nick usually pings me and says, hey, get in contact with these guys. And so I'll, we'll reach out to them immediately. They can always contact us at uh, our phone number uh, at 916-337-5705 if they want to talk. And I take phone calls all day long and answer questions. And we're happy to chat with them about what their needs are, what their operational uh, objectives are, uh, and figure out if there's a better system for them, uh, even than what we might have. Okay. And, yeah, and we, we can add the number, the Instagram handle, yeah. website, all in the description of this video. Um, it, it definitely sounds like forcible entry is a force to be reckoned with. Moving forward with you guys just don't seem to be stopping, slowing down. It No, just doesn't seem to be an option that comes out of your guys' mouth. It's yes, and we will figure it out quickly to get products out to you, to get training out to you, to get things changed. So that's, that's awesome to hear. As a guy sitting in law enforcement, seeing changes you've already made just in in my skill level and the skill level I know of the guys around me, and then seeing other agencies already pick up products and talk about how they want to improve uh, in explosive breaching or interior doors or whatever it may be, and you're able to come up with concepts on how to quickly make that happen for them within their order is it's kind of things you don't hear about in companies these days. It's usually just, well, this is what we make. This is what you get. And you're kind of like, well, I can make, that is what we make, but I can make that. Which we, I think is really cool. Yeah. Thank you. We, our goal is to meet the needs of our first responders. If they give me a reasonable request, I will meet them at a reasonable level. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't do that for our first responders. They are the ones who are on the front line. They're the ones who are risking their lives to save their brothers and sisters. I have zero, for you to ask me to go out there and design you something so that you can be better is not only my honor, it is my privilege. And so I take great pride in the fact that I get to work with these men and women of this country. And I will continue to try and meet the needs 
every single time I can because I do what I do for them um, and I want them to win. I want to bring them home. Yeah, I can see that. So, And if you stick to that, that's a super easy, easy motto game plan to stay behind, stick, stick with. So that's that's great. I appreciate you coming out, Chuck. I appreciate the whiskey you've let yeah. me drink. Cheers to you. Cheers to all Cheers, of our brother. first responders. And thank you. Thank you, brother.